Welcome everyone to episode 145 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin and Mark Baker to discuss Liverpool's 1-1 draw with Chelsea. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So the new Premier League season is underway. Liverpool starting off with a point at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea, opening the scoring through Luis Diaz inside the first 20 minutes. They thought they'd made it 2-0, thanks to Mohamed Salah, but that almost disallowed for a close offside. Chelsea then equalised through the debutant uh, De Zassi um, to make it 1-1 before half-time. And very nearly actually went ahead in a bit of a sucker punch moment when uh, Ben Chilwell thought he'd scored, but again, VAR ruled that one out for offside. So it is a draw for Liverpool to start the season. Um, and I guess the, the place to start, Chris and Mark, is with that result and whether we're kind of happy with it. So, Chris, I'll come to you first, um, as we usually do on Red Sun Restricted. We'll start with a three-red match review. And, yeah, just whether you're happy with a point from that first game. Yeah, my well, my three-word match review, um, and I know we're going to touch on this later, but I'm going to say it anyway, and it's less a review, more of a plea, and it's sign of six, for obvious reasons that we will come on to. But if you'd have offered me a point before the game, I'd have taken it. And I think my emotions were justified by the end. But the first 20 minutes was really quite impressive. Salah hitting the bar, Diaz with a really nice finish. On the stretch, almost jumping on the stretch, imagining to get that much power on the pass from Salah to convert into the bottom corner. It's a really nice goal. And then, of course, Salah just offside. But after that goal got ruled out, the tide just turned in an instant, really. And Chelsea could have had three before the break as well, when you consider um, Jackson's shot over the bar from close range, a really poor miss. And then... In the second half, apart from the penalty that should have been given uh, on, the, on the handball by Jackson and the, the uh, Nunez shot wide or deflected wide at the end, it was really kind of backs to the wall stuff. And it was where the problems were so glaringly obvious. We all knew they were obvious, but Chelsea just exposed them massively as well. And by the end, it, it was a game where I came away from it thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the point because it's against a, it's against a team that we're likely to be competing for, for for a Champions League place. It's away from home as well. And I think while we'd always like three points, the vast majority would probably be happy with getting away from Stamford Bridge with a point. Um, and yeah, there were positives. There were absolutely positives. But at the same time, yeah, the, the problems that we all knew about, they're not going away anytime soon unless they get addressed very quickly. Yeah, do you know what? I think you make a good point there, Chris. I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold was being interviewed after the game talking about Liverpool wanting to win the league. I think they're still quite far off being in a position to do that. So there's a good chance that they're going to be competing with Chelsea um, for a Champions League spot. And maybe come the end of the season from that standpoint, this looks get you know, we look at this as a uh, a good result. But Mark, same question to you. Um, your three word review, please. And um, what do you think of, of that draw? Uh, I'll say three words, I'll probably say not very good. Um, with the new description of the first game, I felt for, for large parts of the game, Liverpool were inferior to a Chelsea side who were obviously being 
sort of patched together at the moment at the start of their cycle with a new manager. And I think there's massive talk, obviously, about players that Liverpool need to bring in, certain profiles of player. And I don't disagree with that at all. But for me, there's a bigger problem that sort of sometimes get o- gets overlooked. And that's Liverpool's ability with and without the ball in terms of how they're being coached at this moment in time and the actual level of performance, the performances, sorry, that they're putting in with the collective of players they actually have got on the on the field of play last season. And obviously um, in the first game uh, today against Chelsea. So a few seasons ago when Liverpool had a really, really poor season, they really struggled um, when they lost the centre-halves and we know about all the issues that they had in having to play for being Henderson or choosing to play them in them positions. And there was a real breakdown in sort of the structure of the team. But the underlying numbers for Liverpool within that season always suggested that he was still the second best side in the Premier League in terms of attacking and defensive numbers. So you always felt that regardless of the personnel and how they were struggling in that department, that Liverpool would get back to a level which would allow them to uh, occupy a Champions League space. However, Last season, that was not the case. Before Liverpool changed system, they were roughly, in terms of the numerics, you were looking at them being a seventh, eighth place team in the Premier League or something around them figures when you combine sort of the attacking numbers with the defensive numbers. And that has been the major change for Liverpool. Liverpool have begun to look like an average Premier League team or a top half Premier League team that can be dominated by other sides or at least have equal share in terms of the swing of the game. And that wasn't Liverpool. Liverpool used to dominate all real facets of the game in terms of being able to camp the opposition in their own half, dictate the the the, the tempo of the game in terms of when they sped it up, when they slowed it down. What you see with Liverpool at this moment in time is, and going back to last season, is any inability to build up from the back in terms of the positions of the players, in terms of being able to get out when they're put under any kind of organised pressure from the opposition, which is the first part. And also, when they're with, against the ball, when they're without the ball, they're unable to close gaps within certain sections of the pitch, which allow the opposition to then have multiple chances on their own goal. And it's it's basically a toss of a coin sometimes if Liverpool are to come out victorious within these games or if they suffer a defeat. There's no real superiority that they're exerting over the opposition. And I think that's the biggest thing because Liverpool can get different profiles of players in that potentially will help them. I don't disagree with that. But the profiles alone won't help Liverpool this season. They're still going to struggle if the actual detail in being able to play out under organised pressure and being able to pressurise the ball without it improves. And that comes from the coaching staff and the collective of players they already have at their disposal. Yeah, I think there's a, as a start I want to bring in later on that front, to be honest, um, about kind of Liverpool's attempts or, or inability to, to control matches at this point. Um, and I think, you know, you, you raised some very kind of interesting and maybe slightly uncomfortable discussions there. Um, my three-word review, and I think probably a first uh, for the podcast, I actually had the exact same one as you, Chris. <laughs> but, um, I've, I'll, I'll change it to my backup one because I actually suspected that might happen. So I'll add no surprises. <laughs> Great there. minds. Because um, I think... You know, there was not there was no part of that game that that was shocking in the sense that Liverpool, I think, had, I mean, maybe not as much as you would have want, but definitely had spells of looking very strong going forward. But you know, there was just no balance to the team defensively at all. Um, and on that basis, I I am happy to get a point from it. I think you know you touched on it, Chris. 
I might have taken the point before the game. Definitely take it based on what I actually saw in the match. I, I mean, you can look back from the Liverpool standpoint at that moment where Sanchez makes the mistake, McAllister overhits the pass to Nunez. I mean, people blaming Nunez for that touch, by the way, I think it's a bit ridiculous because the ball's fired at him from about five yards. Yeah, it's not a great. It's, I mean, McAllister does really well to pressurise the ball and I thought he was very good today, but the pass, in essence, is not a great ball to Nunez at all. Yeah, it's. I think it's a slightly poor moment from him in, in what was otherwise a good debut. Um, I mean, there was also the moment that, that you touched on there, Nunez, seeing the shot deflected wide. I mean, that would have been a a goal for the ages that if that one had gone in. Um, shame that I didn't. But again, can't feel too aggrieved about that because uh, Chelsea had four big chances in the game uh, or missed four big chances in the game. Liverpool um, only missed one. So I think um, Chelsea fans would probably be sitting there saying, how didn't we win? And, you know, I think ultimately a draw is a fair result um, when you look at it. To me, to me it, it's not that much of a consolation though because I'm just sat here and it's a little bit deflating to... Now, now that the moment's arrived to City, and knowing that Liverpool have gone into a, a Premier League season undermanned, um, still adjusting to to not being as well run a club as we used to be, I think, and um, it does raise a bit of a, a what might have been scenario because I just think if we'd had a proper structure, you know, how much better would we have been today? Um, I mean, Mark mentioned it there in terms of on and off the ball, um, and not all of that comes from a new player, of course, but. If we did have that, I mean, Chelsea away is always going to be a difficult fixture. I mean, it even was last season when when they were dreadful. Um, but you know, is was it a winnable game? I think when you saw the team, the Chelsea team sheet at the start, probably, and you know that Chelsea team was definitely flawed in its own right as well. But let's, I mean, we've got to talk about this number six situation a bit more. Um, we haven't done a podcast since all the Moises Caicedo chaos over the weekend. Um, we were actually planning to record an episode reacting to it and then we realised pretty quickly that we'd have to hold fire um, while the situation kind of unfolded um, really so Chris, a twofold question for you, I mean first of all what was it in this game that really kind of hammered home the need for a number six for you and the second part would be, I mean what do you think of the whole, you know the, the chaos like I say around Moises Caicedo at the moment I think the thing that hammered at home to me was that Ben Chilwell should have had a hat-trick. <laughs> you know, we're talking about a, le- a left wing-back who's sitting at home now thinking, wondering how he doesn't have a match ball. Um, and me and you, Dave, we, we've said that we felt uncomfortable going into this season having Trent Alexander-Arnold on his own in that kind of role. And I, I know I know McAllister went in there as a, as a six or such today. But... Oh, in essence, on his own, that's it's not right on him because he if, if he's going to play that role, he needs someone like Moises Caicedo who did it so well at Brighton with McAllister with him. And there was another moment as well in the second half where Liverpool were really were struggling to get possession, had possession on their right wing, gives the ball away. I think it's Trent Alexander-Arnold with a poor pass, and then after. Struggling to get the ball for quite some time, having the ball for approximately 30 seconds and giving away one pass, Nicholas Jackson is through on goal and Alison Becker has to make another save. Again, like I, I said this multiple times last season, before last year, Alison has never really had to be busy. But until Liverpool signed a number six, 
that is going to remain the case that he will have to be busy. He showcases why he's, a, for me, the best goalkeeper in the world. He showcases that again and again and again. But there will become points where he's under that much pressure, there might be a mistake or two. And you can't label that at Alison Becker because if he's coming under that much pressure on such a consistent basis as a result of the structure, it's really not great. I think I heard, you know, to put it this way, Jamie Carragher's played football far more than me to a great higher level. But I think he questioned what one player would bring to the whole system. Well, bringing in number six means Cody Gappo doesn't have to drop into midfield. It means that Trent Alexander-Arnold has more freedom in midfield. It means that McAllister and Savoslai don't have to absolutely knacker themselves out chasing every single ball like they did today. And again, I don't think we saw the true Dominic Savoslai today. I think he was decent, but I don't think we saw the true him because he had to do so much on the defensive side. In terms of the Casado deal, in essence, I'm seeing a lot more things these days about personal terms getting agreed before fees getting agreed. Would Liverpool not have thought to say to Casado, do you actually want to join before then going forward with it? Because the whole thing really has let, if, if if he does join Chelsea, as now looks extremely likely, Liverpool have a rather large egg on their face, especially if Romeo Lavia also ends up at Stamford Bridge, because that would be catastrophic. Because we're going from Lavia, now you're wondering why why couldn't Liverpool just pay the fee in the first place? And that's the thing, the thing we're all thinking. Why couldn't you just up it to 50 in the first place? And now you show the whole world your cards by bidding a British record fee for Moises Caicedo, agreeing it, but getting knocked back by the player himself, and then hearing reports about Chelsea going for Lavia. So it's a complete mess. It sums up the summer in general for me in terms of that position of the pitch. And now we're talking two and a half weeks. We Jurgen Klopp said today after the game, look, we are looking for a six. It's not as if we're not. But the issue is... Liverpool need two number sixes for me by the end of the window. And that's the thing. And that's why everybody that has a decent number six, if Liverpool come knocking on your door or send you an email or send you a fax or however transfers are done these days, you are well within your rights to up that transfer fee by a good 10, 15 mil because they know how desperate Liverpool are to fill that void right now. And that's what the situation Liverpool might well have got themselves into. I mean, there's a lot of talk at the moment on Twitter about um, Caicedo's agents and, you know, is he being led astray? I think regardless of whether that is true or not, clearly there haven't been rock-solid assurances about this deal and about the ascent on the player's side. Um, before the I, also, I also thought, by the way, just, just one thing, sorry. I thought it was really strange on Friday when... Klopp, okay, Klopp's first question in the press conference was always going to be about Kaiseido. Mm. I thought it was really strange that he said we've agreed a deal. Because then Pochettino, less than X amount, about three, four hours later, says, I'm not saying anything on it. And I just thought, I just thought it was a bit strange to say that a deal had been agreed because that must have felt to him that it was quite far down the line. Yeah. Or he must have had a gut feeling or something. So that's another thing that I just, I just don't understand about the entire about the entire situation. Yeah, I, I tweeted about, about this on Friday saying that, you know, 
it's pretty embarrassing for the club for, for Klopp to say that in a public press conference and then to potentially not get the player at the end of it. Um, I think that probably speaks to the mishandling of the situation. And I completely agree with you, Chris, in the sense of it does kind of underscore and you know perpetuate the chaos that we've seen um, in this window at the moment. And this saga isn't completely resolved yet. I think there's a, you know, there's a 95% chance at this point that Chelsea end up with Caicedo. Um, and you can only hope that Liverpool are able to react quickly um, to address it on their end. For me, there's an argument to just simply pay up for Lavia now and, and get Tyler Adams in for 20 million. And, and, you know, you've fixed the position for quite a bit cheaper and you give yourself maybe some money to spend on a centre-back as well. That's not a particularly inspiring solution, but it's getting to the stage where you just need someone. I mean, I'll throw my... Um, my hat in on the, the whole number six issue in this particular game in a second, but I want to come to you first, Mark, on the just on what's been happening with Caicedo and you know the impression you've had of how the club's conducted itself on this one. Yeah, it's been um, yeah, it's been a bit of a shocker, really, in in the way it's it's played out. I mean, first of all, going back to the the collective uh, sort of of the position, because obviously Caicedo would be would be a really good. A really good signing for Liverpool. I don't think anyone doubts that. But I think what we have to remember is as well, going back to the collective and the organisation factor, it's Liverpool has one of the best holding midfielders who's been in the Premier League or in Europe for the last few years and Fabinho last season. And this idea, I think sometimes that Fabinho had lost his legs. For me, Fabinho had never been able to run. Thiago had never been able to run. The problem was they were always magnificent at managing small distances when the team was compact and organised. Once that team was not compact and organised and they were then asked to manage bigger distances, that's when the problems occurred. So again, it goes back to the collective of, of the organisation being the key factor rather than the individual. But having said that in terms of Caicedo, I think it was obvious at the start of the, the transfer window that Liverpool looked to address multiple positions, hence the reason obviously they didn't proceed with well, what some would say, well, how have you got money for Moises Caicedo, but you haven't got for Jude Bellingham. I think there's a number of factors in that. Obviously, we know that Jude Bellingham's overall package in terms of wages, all that that goes with it, would have been astronomical in the agents' fees. But also, I think more to the point that let's be let's be fair about this. Liverpool are playing in the Europa League. Jude Bellingham was the most sought-after individual in Europe, and the reality is, I would say, it was more likely that Jude Bellingham said, "Listen, unfortunately, I'm not interested in going to Liverpool anymore." And the optics of it, what Liverpool wanted to project out to the you know, the, the wider media, if you like, was the pulling out, the spending it on different amounts of players, when the reality was they probably wouldn't have been able to acquire the player. So having done that, I think they've identified Lavia as well as other players in different positions. is going to play the deeper midfield role, but the valuation was a, a problem. I don't think they agreed with that valuation of Southampton. And I think what transpired after that was that Liverpool were in a situation where they then acquired... £60 million pounds or whatever it was that they didn't expect to get from Fabinho and Henderson. And I think the wider sort of football world felt that Caicedo to Chelsea was done maybe weeks, a month ago. And it, it didn't get done. And I think Liverpool almost smelt an opportunity. of, And obviously when a club the size of Liverpool bids that amount of money for a player, they must have got some kind of go-ahead or some kind of assurance from the agents and the player that, listen, if you bid, you know, I, I, I'm... I'm open to be able to move into your club. And I think what's obviously happened, or you would assume what's happened, is after that, Todd Bowley and Chelsea have gone back to the player and the agents, who obviously they've known over a period of time. Now they've made the most of the running with them and have probably offered 
a lot more than what Liverpool are looking to offer. Hence, the, then there's a change in sort of the decision-making process between the agents and the player, whatever it is. And it's left Liverpool looking in a li- little bit of a sticky situation now because the reality is he probably he's probably going to join Chelsea. And then the knock-on effect of that is Liverpool have you know, gone public with the amount of money that they're willing to spend. And also, in terms of Lavia, very much seeing that that option was sort of put on the back burner. Um, so it's a difficult one for them because I think the reality is what they'll probably do now is they'll probably go back to the Lavia situation and try and get him to play the role. But as we know, Chelsea have put in a bid. Now, is that a tactical move from Chelsea to try and dissuade Liverpool from continuing their bid and opening it up for them? You don't know really about that sort of um, narrative and if if that's how it's, it's sort of played out. I think... What, what you could do potentially criticise Liverpool from is you need a cast-iron assurance from playing an agent that when you make that bid, that that's going to be the green light for you. But you don't know if they've got that and then they've reneged on it afterwards, um, which is interesting. Again, some people might say, well, why didn't you just go for Caicedo at the start of the summer and not be a self-sustaining business model? But we know they are. So the reality is, as being that, and that's how they choose to run the football club, their sort of priority was to prioritise the funds amongst multiple players and it only comes to fruition after it for Bino and Henderson. So, yeah, just messy all round. I hope I've tried to sum it up as best I can. I try and understand it. I mean, obviously, we don't know, do we? But I'm just trying to surmise it in my own mind, I suppose. But not good. And I think there's an element on the Todd Bowley side of things of, of ego in this because there's a reason Chelsea haven't done a deal up to this point is the reason they haven't done a deal after Liverpool's agreement. And I think there's, there is an element of pride in there now for Chelsea. They put so much like work into this deal. I'm not convinced they saw a, a possibility of affording it on Brighton's terms. And now they're probably scrambling to make it happen because they, they've, they've spent about, they spent about 500 million last season. Um, they spent quite a lot of this summer, obviously have made quite a bit from sales too, but, it's quite it's quite clear that they're getting close to the line on FFP at this stage. And um that's why I think that I've got this sense that that bowley just is saying, you know what, I'm not I'm not losing out on this. I'm I'm getting a player and we'll work it out later. I I think there's there's two definites, isn't there? I think the first thing is it's been what, forty eight hours since Liverpool agreed the deal or whatever it is more than it. And Chelsea still haven't concluded that deal, although it looks like it'll get done. And there must be something going on in the background in terms of finances there. But also from Caicedo's point of view, if he wanted to be at Liverpool, he'd have already had the medical and he'd be, you know, he'd be getting paraded wearing the shirt, wouldn't he? So the reality is I think we we sort of can can judge from that where it's where it's sort of headed, I suppose. Yeah, and we'll have to see as well what impact this has on Romeo Lavia's mindset in terms of his um willingness to move to Liverpool. Just to put a pin on the, the number six um, situation for this game, I think a couple of moments that stood out to me. I mean, you can look at kind of players like McAllister and, and people have made, repeatedly said, you know, you know, he's played number six at Brighton and things like that. But like, he was playing alongside Caicedo, which is a crucial yeah. point there. And, and if you, whatever, you, you know, you have him, you have Jones, you have Trent, whoever you want to put there. Um, maybe Thiago and Bicet such a difference in this regard. But those players, it's like, they have the inclination to defend. It's not an issue of application at all. It's just you, they don't have the awareness. They just don't have the experience in the position to do it. And I think what epitomised that is that moment where Sterling's on the ball and um, Enzo runs in behind um, off 
off McAllister. McAllister just is completely blind to the man on his shoulder. And I think Neville said in commentary, you know, that is like the epitome of what a number six would do is to track that run, um, to be honest. And, uh, you know, to touch on kind of the control point from earlier, Liverpool's possession today was 34%, and that's the eighth lowest they've had um, in a Jürgen Klopp game. So there's definitely an element there of not just stabilising Liverpool off the ball, but do they need kind of that balance in possession as well? And I think that's an important conversation to have. Well, yeah, because when you don't have the ball, when you've only got 34% of the ball, you're having to do so much running and so much tracking and so you're, you're exerting so much energy. That's why, like, say, the Barca teams, the City team, all the, all, the, all the great teams, the ones that have possession because they knacker you out mm. eventually because you're running, you're tracking, you're getting dragged each way. And it, it reached a point in the second half where I, I, I couldn't recall the last time I saw Liverpool just giving the... In, terms, in a competitive kind of game, I know Liverpool, obviously, the, say the game with City last year was a bit of a massacre come the end of it. But in a game that you would think would be a lot more competitive, Liverpool just could not string two passes together. And that was the big concern, and that just have someone to put their foot on it in midfield. Mm. And that, in going back to Henderson, Fabinho, to Milner, it's the experience that you've lost with all of them. Mm. And it's the experience, just put your foot on the ball in the midst of younger players. Mind you, I say younger players, we're talking about Captain of Liverpool now, captain of the, and captain of the Netherlands, captain of Scotland. You know, as I've said, I'm not. I wouldn't exactly call Trent Alexander Arnold inexperienced now. You know, McAllister's a World Cup winner. You've got you. There is experience there, but what Henderson, Fabinho, and Milner did have it was just that next level of experience and know-how, and it's replacing that as well as the quality. Yeah, I. I, I sorry. Go on, sorry, Mark. No, no, it's, sorry, sorry to, sorry to interrupt. Um, I think one of the issues today, and this is obviously coming back to Liverpool being in possession, is this has been a constant theme now for a long period of time going back to last season. And again, you know, in terms of individuals in the side, they can be a lot better technically. But Liverpool are, are struggling to play out under any organised pressure in terms of the build-up of the game. The angles of the players receiving the ball, the options for the man on the ball, are not good enough. And that comes from the coaching staff as well. And when they are in the final phase, the actual combinations, the opposite movement patterns, them coordinated patterns, which were the feature of Jürgen Klopp's side, and one of the main things in, in why they were so successful, that they could pin the opposition into their own half. They could build up under any kinds of pressure, which meant they were always in possession of the ball, always, always in, a, in a position of superiority. They no longer have them. For me, that's the most concerning thing for me, rather than the individuals, is how are Liverpool turning into this ordinary side where the angles on the ball, the options for the man on the ball are not good enough? Because Liverpool only improved last season when they went to a different formation. Now, today, they wanted to impose that formation onto the game, but they couldn't do so because they didn't have enough of the ball, which meant that Alexander-Arnold played virtually the whole game as a right-back. Also, people talk about Alexander-Arnold being... And a midfield player in possession, but he's not just a midfield player in possession in that system. He's actually a midfield player when the ball breaks down straight away and Liverpool are looking to counter press. He's an inside player in the shape in terms of the counter press. Now, again, because Liverpool aren't organised enough in their counter press, they're having to sit in a rest defence, which means again they sit back in a four-three-three shape, which is the one that caused all the problems for Liverpool last season. So they, I just thought they were key things to note on it. That's all. 
Yeah, I think those are quite important points, to be honest. And what you're touching on there is something that isn't necessarily going to be solved by just, you know, throwing a number six into the equation, which is a worry, definitely. And um, I just think the team didn't look ready for the start of the season today. Like, it it, it wasn't anywhere near a, a polished end product um, from Liverpool. And uh, I think big steps need to be taken before the game against Bournemouth next week. John Henry was there at the game. I mean, I don't know how much you read into that, but I think... Um, as much as it isn't going to solve all of those problems, they the first step needs to be kind of let's get a specialist number six in there, someone who can give the team more of a semblance of balance, and, and we'll go from there. Um, Alexis McAllister and Dominic Sabosly both made their debuts in this game. Chris, you said um, Sabosly was decent and uh, maybe not spectacular. I mean, what did you make of his performance overall? And, and also, what did you think of McAllister on his first uh, Premier League out in a red shirt? I think we'll see a lot more of Dominic Sabozlai. I think we'll see. I think we'll get more excited about Dominic Sabozlai. The kind of the factor why I didn't think he was himself today. There's a part in the second half after Darwin Nunez has come on, and Sabozlai gets the ball about 25 yards out, and it's a prime opportunity to strike a goal. Test Robert Sanchez. That's the other thing. I don't think he was tested enough today. Chelsea, you know, this is a guy that's making his Chelsea debut. Um, having been second choice for Brighton for since about February um, or March, actually, my FPL mind comes to mind when I brought him in and Steele replaced him immediately. Um, you know, I thought that was the, the, the big chance for someone like Dominic Sabozlai to have a crack at goal like he would, like I've seen him do time and time again for Leipzig. Um, but then he passed into Nunez, almost playing a bit safe, I think. And I think safe is probably the word to describe his performance today because we didn't see the kind of adventure I thought we'd see from him, but I do think we'll see that in the weeks to come. For example, I do think we'll see that against Bournemouth. Maybe he'll get more of a freer role. Hopefully, you never know if someone is through the door by that point. But uh, Alexis McAllister, I I put in our predictions um, that he, for me, I think he'll be the signing of the season. And I I do think he'll be a big part in Liverpool's ultimate improvement. I think more is needed for that to come, but I still think he's all the good signs today. I think he was pressing. I think he was. I know it was. I know it was the discipline side of things. I thought he was very harshly booked. But if if, if you are getting booked for waving an imaginary yellow card these days, maybe you know, it's just something you got to learn, isn't it? But I think you saw him trying to connect the play. You saw him a bit limited just by the system. But again, him and McAllister will. Sorry, him and Sabozlai. We'll only see the true version of them once there is a bit more freedom to their play, once they can get forward a little bit more. Um, because I, I am very excited about them both, absolutely. Um, and I thought oh, Klopp was buzzing with their performances. He called them top, top players. And they are both top, top players. I just don't think we saw the full versions of them today. Um, so yeah, that, that's my review of those two. Uh, the less said about my predicted flop of the season, the better, because he happened to score on his Newcastle debut within about eight minutes. But we'll we'll gloss over that for now. Yeah, still a long, still a long, long way to go as well. So you know things can um, things can change an awful lot. Um, in terms of my impressions, um, I mean, I just look at that goal and the the way Sabasley was so calm, receiving the ball, facing his own yeah. goal under pressure. You know, straight back into Canate, Canate into McAllister, McAllister, brilliant pass out out to the the flank with Salah, and then 
you know, that's the pre-assist. And I think we'll see a lot of pre-assists for him uh, this season. That was a moment where I was like, yeah, this is, you know, this is what we want from our new midfield. That was just pure quality. It was composure. Um, and I really enjoyed seeing that. And I think that was the outstanding positive today was almost that move that led to the first goal was just brilliant all around. Um, Sobersly, I think, you know, the point you make about the, the shots where, that he didn't take, I, I was very much expecting him to unleash that. I think he should have done yeah. Um, we only had three shots on target in the game, so you were definitely right about testing Sanchez, who incidentally was my flop of the season. So it would have been good to you know give that a bit of ammunition today. Um, I did think that his, I know you mentioned about him maybe being a bit stifled a bit by the defensive work he had to do, but I was, it was pleasing to see him kind of commit to that so much, and I think he was reasonably effective doing that. You know, Henderson, did he reach a point where he didn't kind of have it in him athletically to be? contributing that much off the ball maybe and I think in that sense it was a bit more refreshing to see sub size application today um so also I think in, also I was gonna say in the first half we did see that run from him as well yeah so we did we did see that you know, in the first half hour I think that's where you saw the best of him in an attacking sense because mm. he did show his ability driving forward dribbling forward just I think him and Joss then got in the way of each other yeah but undoubtedly there were glimpses I am I'm just looking forward to seeing the full form of Dominic Sabozlai yeah, again, this is why you need to just put them in like a proper midfield situation. Yeah. To be honest, you know, we talk about, we've seen it with our attack, we've seen it with our defence, you know, you need to put players where they're supposed to be, whether they were envisaged to be, before you can really properly judge them. But I think generally, um, a solid start for both players. Uh, Mark, what did you think of them? Uh, yeah, to be honest, I was quite impressed with uh, Sir Bosley. I, I can't, you know, profess to have ever really seen him play, apart from the little bits I've seen in pre-season. But I think one of the things stood out stood out to him from my point of view was his off the ball work. I thought he was really good in terms of uh, pressurising the ball, in terms of his intelligence to be able to steal the ball, his his body shape when he was going to engage with opponents. I thought it was a real positive that in terms of winning the ball higher on on a couple of occasions, and also when he had it in the higher areas. His retention of the ball as well, I think he made good decisions, as you touched on before. Obviously, one leading up to the to the goal as well. And Alexis McAllister, I think I think he's a great player. I, 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 I think I've mentioned before, but I'm a massive Leo Messi fan, so I watched a lot of the World Cup. And I think this player, his body position when he receives the ball to be able to move it forward, whether it be off the inside of his foot or the outside of his foot, receiving off the back foot to play forward. I just think he's a fantastically intelligent player. His, his, his ball into Salado down that right-hand side for the goal was excellent in terms of his execution of it with the laces. And I think, I've mentioned this before, but I think a bit of a cross between Ilkay Gundogan and, and a bit of a Gini Vinaldo as well. Multifunctional, can do any job you want in midfield, can play deeper, can play higher, receive the ball in the tightest of areas. And I think he's going to be a top, top player. And I think amongst all this sort of talk about transfers and bit of negativity around the, uh, the transfer at the moment, the Caicedo situation. I think that's the sign of the sum of that for £35 million. And I think a lot of the big clubs, if, if not all of the elite clubs, if they were aware of that, which I'm sure they were, or, or the vast majority of that fee, for Liverpool to be able to convince him to come to Liverpool under a lot of competition, I think could be an absolute masterstroke. And he, he ultimately improves Liverpool straight from the off as a first-choice option. I think, obviously, with him going in there today, I think an interesting one for me would be the position of Gakpo because Gakpo, I think Klopp really likes and I think he wants to get him in the team on a consistent basis. But I don't know 
if an away game, for example, at Stamford Bridge playing in a free man midfield, when he's a player who's played on the highest line of the pitch throughout his career, it, it would have been the option to go, especially when you've got Curtis Jones there. So, yeah, in answer to your question, I thought um, both of them, are t- well, Alexis McAllister's a top player. Jory's out on Sabos like his. I haven't seen enough of them, but I fought alongside the goalkeeper and Harvey Elliott when he came on. Felt they were the three best players for Liverpool alongside Alexis McAllister, yeah. And I'm definitely coming away from today's game, I think, excited to to watch more of them playing, to be honest. And um, obviously we will we will see that against Bournemouth next week when he makes his uh, his home debut. And I think you are right to mention the Gakpo point. It was nothing we've touched on yet. Didn't quite work, I don't think, playing Gakpo as the midfielder here. Not to say that it won't work in other games, but maybe it would have been a better call, I think, to to start Gakpo as a centre forward because I, I do love I do love him. I think he should have played the game. Um, but maybe him as a centre forward and and uh, Jones in that advanced eight role on the left side might have been just a little bit more balanced um, for this one. But yeah, I think we'll pretty much leave it there for, for this episode. We haven't touched on uh, Salah's uh, little uh, strop, if you want to call it that, when he got substituted. But to be honest, it probably doesn't. I think it'll be forgotten about quite quickly. And we've seen similar things happen in the past. And um, it's not really too big a deal. And probably forgotten by the time uh, Liverpool takes the pitch next weekend. Um, we'll be back before then with another episode. We're aiming to do a couple of podcasts each week. Um, match reaction plus, you know, getting into um, a bit more of kind of discussion-based episodes during the week as well. So so watch out for that one. We might uh, be reacting to a sign of Liverpool and get something done uh, before then. But yeah, regardless of that, we will be back um, next week uh, for the match reaction. The Bournemouth game at Anfield, which hopefully we'll see Liverpool pick up their first win of the new season. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, um, please do give us a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star review on Apple. It would really, really help us. And yeah, thanks to Chris and Mark for joining me and we will see you next week for more content. So yeah, 